You're listening to the Gold Standard Podcast. I'm your host, three-time Olympian and motivational speaker, Leah Amico. On this show, we're going to dig deep to unlock what it actually takes to build a foundation for greatness. If you're an ambitious person with big vision, but you feel like fear is holding you back, get ready for some major breakthroughs. Let's dive in. Hey everyone, welcome to the Gold Standard Podcast. I'm very excited about today's guest. She is a two-time Olympic gold medalist with USA Softball, ESPN's lead college softball color analyst for the past 25 years, a USA Softball Hall of Fame honoree, and a bunch of other things that we will talk about and get into. Um, But most importantly, she is a former teammate of mine and a good friend. I am very excited to have on Michelle Smith with me today. Welcome, Michelle. Leah, I'm so excited to be here and chat with you and talk about all the great things going on. <laughs> One of the fun things that has has been you know exciting for me has been able to uh, I've been able to interview some of our teammates. And what's so fun is we played together for all those years. But you know, there's stories that I don't know or I haven't heard, or maybe I only heard a little piece of it. So to be able to to hear some more of your story, I'm so excited for um, not only for me to hear it, but everybody to hear some stuff. So. Let's get started just a little bit um, back in how you got involved in softball, where you were from, and kind of how your love of softball began. So I grew up in a small um, rural area of New Jersey. I wouldn't even call it a town. It was just a group of homes on the top of a uh, a mountain um, in New Jersey, like way out in the country. A lot of people are like, New Jersey? I'm like, it is called the Garden State for a reason. So it was a very, very country rural area. And um Ever since I was a kid, I just I love sports. I was always that little busybody, lots of energy. My mom would, you know, lock us out inside and we'd just play all day. And I just I just fell in love with baseball, softball. And so I would couldn't wait for my dad to get home from work every day. I'd throw his glove at him before he even got out of the truck and we would play catch. And um, I didn't really start to play organized fast pitch, though, until I was um, 15 years old, which is obviously very late. So I played softball. I was a left-handed shortstop. I was an outfielder, but I, I didn't start to pitch until I was 15, a sophomore in high school. So I learned from uh, Betty Zwingraff, uh, the late Betty Zwingraff. She passed away a couple of years ago, but she was outstanding. She was she was so uh, such a blessing in my life because she she taught me how to pitch. She got me in touch with Donna Terry and other legendary coaches in our game to really educate me and teach me because, you know, when you're learning at 15 years old, uh, you have to do a lot of work very quickly. And then I was blessed enough to, um, to learn to be a, a decent pitcher in three years and then went on to, uh, to play at Oklahoma State University. I had a, had a scholarship there, but that's really how I started. I was one of the very few, um, one of your very few East Coast teammates, because <laughs> most of well, y'all. I know. I'm just thinking that, you know, even today, I mean, the sport has come so far and you know, now on the East coast, there's so many indoor facilities and training is so much better, but still the weather outside being on the field, there's nothing like it. And so for you, like you're saying, even back when there weren't as many opportunities, not only that travel ball, you think about again, that competitive level. So to me, I, I hear that. And it just speaks to, um, just your ability truly, not only to learn later, but how athletic you truly were. And, and I mean, were there a lot of good players around you? That's, that's always so intriguing to me because I'm thinking you had to have just been the one, you know, standout in your area. 
Yeah, there were, uh, at my age, no, I actually had to play up. So I was playing women's major fast pitch at like 16, 17 years old. So I was playing with women. Some of them were already done with their collegiate eligibility. So it was literally like sink or swim. And it was the best thing for me because there were a lot of, you know, whatever you want to call them, setbacks, which were really set ups. I mean, it taught me, I learned so much from my teammates, from watching my opponents. And it was the best thing that could have ever happened to me because it really toughened up my skin early. Uh, it taught me that I had to work hard, really, really hard. Uh, I played field hockey and basketball. So after field hockey practice, basketball practice, I would pitch my, you know, to my dad, to my catcher. So had a lot of homework to do, um, but it was the best thing ever because there were not a lot of other athletes um, that really wanted to play and excel at the level that I did. Well, and did, was there anybody to look up to? Like, how did you know what level you're trying to reach when you're, I mean, besides, obviously you said, you know, being able to get that instruction and, and fall underneath kind of that, that yep. leadership. So here's, uh, Leah, the ironic part is that in the 80s, in the mid to late 80s, women's fast pitch softball was huge on the East Coast for summer ball, not collegiately, right? Everybody was playing in, say, in California, but then the Dot Richardsons, the Sheila Cornells, they all went and played for the Ray Bestos Breakettes. And I started, Betty Zwingraff was a coach for the London Majors. And so there was this group of teams in the Northeast, all through New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Connecticut, um, uh, New Hampshire, that would play each other. It was unbelievable. Some of the best fast pitch ever played was up in that New England area, but it was all athletes that were playing collegiately, mostly in the Southwest or in, on the West Coast, and um, and so that's who I was playing against. And trust me, when when you're you're a first year pitcher and you're you're pitching against Sheila Cornell and Dot Richards, and you learn very quickly what you can throw and what you can't throw. <laughs> yeah, that is amazing. So tell me how you you know you you got to Oklahoma State. You you know started setting records there. How did you get involved in the USA process? So after college, I thought I wanted to go to um, medical school. And so I was finishing up my prereqs. I went on to coach at the University of Oregon and I kept playing summer ball. So I was actually recruited to play for a team out of um, California. And um, and so I played with that team and then through women's majors nationals. I think, you know, I was kind of seen after being a two time All-American at Oklahoma State. So I think gradually I just started to catch up with players that had been playing, you know, 10 years longer than, than I had, and then had the opportunity to, to, to try out for the U S women's team. And, and the very first team that I tried out for Leah was the Pan American games in um, 90. I'm thinking it might've been 91 ish, 90, 91, something like that. And, um, and I didn't make it. Um, they picked Debbie doom over me. And I, I think when I look back now, it was, it was uh, Shirley Topley was, uh, was the head coach. And um, the games were in Cuba and it, it was it hurt because I was the year before I was named, you know, uh, player of the year. And I'm like, how can I be player of the year and then not make the team? And, uh, you know, I felt like it was yeah. uh, it was just a blow to me. But then I look back and it was probably one of the best things that ever happened because Debbie's Doom's career was kind of ending because she was older than I was. And I was just starting to emerge. And obviously, as you know, the rest of the story is that very soon we were, we were Olympic athletes. So that's kind of how wow. it all worked. In such a small world, because Debbie yeah. Doom, who pitched at UCLA and was, you know, just a superstar in her own right. She was actually, when I was, when I was, I think 16 years old at first short time, she was my pitching coach. <laughs> and my recently I've been, able, I've been able to reconnect with her on Facebook. Just, just the last month. I mean, you talk about small world and that how is, collide. I love great. that. Yeah. <laughs> 
Well, I, I was so blessed. I know by your leadership and us being able to, um, you know, play on the two Olympic teams together. I know as I came in as a younger athlete and I really looked up to you a lot, obviously a fellow lefty and, but more importantly, just how you were as a team player, what, um, what's maybe a, a favorite memory or two of the Olympic games? Wow. Um, there's so many of them, right? Um, I honestly, though, I think it's like everything in life, Leah. It's the people. You know, when you're kind of in it, you may not realize it because you're so focused on train, be the best, win the gold medal, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. I wish I, I, and you know, I was at the time in 96, I was 29. So I was one of the older athletes on the team. And you know, obviously you and Laura Berg were some of the youngest along with Krista Williams. So I think I would, I think I wish I would have realized at a um, younger age to, to really reach out more to my teammates, um, ver ver verbalize how important everybody was to me. Cause I think back about that now. And I just think how blessed we were to have some really good people, you know, um, and, and I'm always big on that, no matter what your team is, whether or not it's in business or um, yes, a broadcasting yeah. team or, you know, a, a team on the field that you've got to enjoy the people you're with because you're with them a long time and you got to be willing to, to lay it all down. So I think when I look back, I think about walking into opening ceremonies as a team, Team USA softball, but a part of Team USA Olympic team, um, you know, and so representing your country. So opening ceremonies, I think, were always a blessing. And then, of course, um, you know, winning the gold medals and each games had those distinct challenges that really pushed us. Some people look back at those days and they think, oh, USA softball just was so much better than everybody. And that wasn't the case. We just always figured out a way to win. Um, and yeah, so I think those would be my, my most uh, precious memories. Oh, that's so great. And I want to be able to talk about different things that you know, obviously we love the Olympic stories, but I, but you just have done so much. I want you to share a little bit um, about your career because you played over in Japan yeah. um, and for, you know, a Toyota team over there. And tell us a little bit about that one, how that happened to kind of what that takeaway and the amount of time that you spent over there. Yeah. So it is interesting because I actually was in Japan before the Olympics. So in 1992, 93, I was coaching at the University of Oregon. I wanted to go to medical school and I kept getting um, recruited by some Japanese companies, Hitachi, some Toyota companies to come over and play ball. And I was like, no, I'm going to go to medical school. So I had finished up my prereqs for medical school. I'd applied. And all of a sudden with Team USA, we'd gone over again and, and I, I had another three companies asking me. And then I had two good friends, Debbie Schneider and Lucy Casares, who were already over playing for Toyota Industries. And um, so it was really a um, hard decision, but it was one of the best things I did. I went over in 1993 at 24, turned 25 years old over there. And I ended up staying. I thought I was going to go for one year, earn a little money, then go to medical school. <laughs> <laughs> that one year though is when wow. they announced would be in the Olympics in 1996. And I was like, well, I'm already on the U.S. team. I'm like, wow, I have a chance to be an Olympian, maybe win a medal. So I decided to keep playing. And that, so that one year turned into 16 years playing for Toyota Industries Corporation. And it, it also was a blessing. You talk about reaching outside your comfort zone, moving half of a world away to go to a country you can't speak any of the language. I mean, the only Japanese I knew was probably a sushi and wasabi, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yes. I couldn't speak anything. So my first year there, I really started to learn to immersion, like speak the language, get to know my teammates. And it was such a blessing because the Japanese culture, there are so many amazing qualities of it. I mean, it's come a long way. Women are obviously treated very well over there now at a time when prior it was more of a male dominated uh, society, but they embraced me. 
Um, I had a great time. I learned from them. They learned from me. And I think that's where I really started to hone my skills and realize the importance of team being a good teammate and being uh, communicating how my actions affect everybody around me. And in America, we don't re- we're not really taught that. Right. We're very how do things impact us? Well, in the Japanese society, they're half the population of the U.S. and, and a country the size of California. They'd be like everybody west of the Mississippi moving into California. And you know how densely populated it is already. So imagine wow. an environment and you realize very quickly how your actions affect other people. That is that is the first thing you learn over there is really how you affect other people. Family is key. Your your environment is key working together. So I, it was truly a blessing. It was the best thing I think I ever did was going over there and playing in Japan and living over there for 16 years. Well, and I just think you, I mean, you've broken down barriers because you going and doing that has opened up the door, not only for many American athletes that are over there today, college players graduating right out of college and heading straight over to Japan, having opportunities to make great money and, and kind of get some savings. I know, you know, one of um, our Olympic teammates, Natasha Watley spent a lot of years over there as well. She kind of followed in your footsteps. But one of the things that I loved is we had many chances to play in Japan. We played the world championships there. We went over and played tournaments there. And I loved that you were like royalty. <laughs> we would go into these stadiums and they all knew Michelle Smith. And what I loved is, you know, they, they all look similar and kind of aren't as tall. Michelle's tall and she's got this, you know, these beautiful, you know, big locks. And I don't know. I just loved how they just flocked to you. So that was super fun for me <laughs> to experience. Yeah. That. Is that how they treated you when you were there? Oh yeah. It was crazy. Like almost like you felt like I was a beetle at times. All the, <laughs> like, yeah! Little boys and girls, cause little boys play fast pitch softball over there. So it was crazy, you know, and, and that in itself was so awesome because you know, we were expected to do very well. And we we did do well in the years that I was there. But, you know, if we lost a game, I'd be in such a bad mood. And I wa- I'd walk out of the stadium, but oh, grumpy, you know, just like, ah, you know, upset about everything. And then you have like 500 screaming kids that just want to be around you. They don't care if you just won or not, you know, they just, and I'm like, oh my gosh, thank you, Lord. This is, this is what I needed. It was perspective, right? These kids come, they just want to spend 10 seconds with you. They just want to touch you or say hello or speak Japanese or English with you and an autograph and and you just made their day. And it it makes you realize the power that you have just by giving your time to someone by being kind to someone by making them feel like they're the most important person in the world for that 10 seconds. It, it, it's life-changing. And, and so I was very blessed that it, it taught me a lot of, a lot of that stuff. Well, and I think it's good to have that perspective. I feel like God gave me a couple of those moments as well, like in college, walking off the field after a bad game. And yeah, you, we all know how we feel. We're so hard on ourselves, but it kind of shifts that perspective of it. We're grateful to even have the opportunity, right. To be out there. Some people don't have, most people don't have that opportunity. Right. Um, okay. Let's shift a little bit because you have had just an unbelievable career. You you've done, you know, keynote speaking and you still, you know, do some of that as well, but really like a big part of your career, the last 25 years, um, you are one of the mainstays when people think of college softball on TV, they think of Michelle Smith. And, and so talk to me a little bit about how you got into broadcasting and how that's kind of transformed through the years. Yeah, it was, uh, it was obviously I was, like I said, I was pre-med <laughs> and I had no, <laughs> uh, no journalism um, experience whatsoever. So it was literally like being thrown in the water and figure it out, learn how to swim. And so I just remember the first couple of times, um, the producers and directors would be like, it's okay. We just, we know you don't have a lot of experience. Just they would, this, this was their coaching. 
say what you see. Okay, thank you. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> say and what you go. Okay. And go. Exactly. Um, so you know what it was, it's like everything it's rep. So, and every time my first, probably five or 10 years, I do like a chunk of two or three games and then I wouldn't do it for 11 months. And then I do maybe eight games and I wouldn't do it for 11 months. And every time I would get off air, my first couple of years, I'd be like, I'm never doing it again. Cause it's so stressful. <laughs> you know, everything's going wrong. People are talking in your head. It's like, ah! it's like controlled chaos and somehow it looks good on the TV screen, <laughs> you know, but, but when you're behind the scenes, as you know, cause you've done it, sometimes you're like, how did that even look good? How was anyone even watching this? Because there's always some issues. Something's crashing something's not working, you know, um, but I just stuck with it and I just learned to love it. And I think at first, because our sport wasn't on much, I knew a lot of our, our, our moms and dads with daughters were watching. So I'd try to really coach and be educational and, and almost coach parents while I was, you know, commentating the game. And, and so now the sport is so successful and people love to watch it that it's more analytical now. I don't have to feel like I'm always completely coaching the audience and um, you're explaining things. You're talking about uh, tactical versus technical and just different ways of, of approach. So I actually look at things a little differently now that I've been in it longer than um, when I first started, but it, it's been well, fun. <laughs> I love I love hearing you saying that because. Oh my goodness. Like that's exactly like I did it so much less, um, through the years, like you were saying a couple games a year and my very first game, it was not with ESPN. It was somebody else. And they threw me in and it was a, I don't even know conference USA championship. And we didn't even know who was playing. I've never done. Oh, it was the worst experience ever. I literally walked away. Like I will never do that again. And you saying that, like, it makes me feel like, Oh my gosh, even Michelle felt this a little bit. Okay. This is normal. And like you said, the two games, I noticed the game, the year I had, yeah, like eight games. I was like, Oh my gosh, I got so much better. (laughs) And then it's like, yeah. Okay. Wait till next year again. Well, you do, you do so, so great with it. I, I love that. The gold standard podcast is brought to you by major media league. Major Media League is a revolutionary competitive app launching in June 2022. This app gives softball athletes a platform to showcase their skills by participating in challenges and having the chance to win prizes and scholarships. This is also an opportunity to promote your own talent. For all the athletes out there, it's free to join. So go sign up today at www.majormedialeague.com. The link is also in the show notes. You'll be notified when the Major Media League app launches, so get prepared for the unbelievable opportunity that lies ahead to grow your brand as an athlete. I know that you um, are finishing out this busy, busy season. You guys will have the Women's College World Series. Um, Talk a little bit about that, like just the growth of the sport that we've seen, you know, in viewership as well. Oh my goodness. It is just so great. We outrate almost everything we go up against. And that's why ESPN is now, we used to be on ESPN too during the Women's College World Series. Now we're on ESPN. They will actually flip wherever they can and put us on ESPN. And and again, it always depends on who else is playing, if it's NHL or MLB or, you know, we're going up against Yankees, Boston at times, and we outrate them. So it just shows the power of our sport, even in the regular season. So for instance, UCLA played Florida State in February at the St. Pete Clearwater Elite Invitational, our ESPN event. And on Sunday night, they elevated us to ESPN. We were the highest ranking uh, program show 
the entire weekend. I, I mean, well outrating everything, men's basketball, everything. So, um, and the, because of that, ESPN just keeps wanting to put us on. As far as you know, Oklahoma City, the Women's College World Series is a bucket list. If you are a fan or even a small fan of the sport, you got to go because the environment is tremendous. And USA Softball has done a good job of really trying to build that stadium. And it's hard, you know, our sport does, we don't have the millions of dollars like MLB and, um, but we, we do have great economic impact for the communities that support us. And so I'm really hoping since title nine, this is the 40th year of, excuse me, the 50th year of title nine, the 40th year of the women's college world series. I'm hoping now we start to step it up another level. We are getting better uh, facilities in college because of Title IX. Well, now we need communities to start stepping it up because all this bed tax money that all these communities get from tourism and sports tourism, well, guess what? That's government money. And, and a lot of that money goes to build MLB stadiums, NFL stadiums. What about women's sports? Why are we not building facilities for women's sports? And softball is a prime candidate for that. I'm trying to get a new stadium in Clearwater, Florida, a women's sports museum. So a bunch of stuff going on because I think it's important. It's about time that as a nation, we start to make facilities a priority for women just as much as we have for men's team sports. And it's again, it's about the, ten, the, the men's team sports because women's golf and tennis, they can play on the same courts and links that uh, men golfers and, and men tennis players play on. But for softball, we need a slightly different facility, obviously, than baseball. And, and basketball is the same thing. They can play in the same facility. So I think as a community, we need to start to push more to say, hey, we can do better. Let's let's do better. We're at the stage where we should and can do better. Yeah, we know that the viewership is there and the support is there and the excitement is there. So now we just, yeah, like you're saying, we need to find these other ways. Well, I know that you will definitely be able to make that happen. You've been involved. Yeah, for sure. You've been involved um, in an international game. You've traveled the world. You've spoken. You've, you know, fought for obviously softball went out of the Olympics for, you know, a couple, um, you know, quads and came back this past Olympics. But we know it's not in the next Olympics in France. And so um, that's always a fight. So, you know, thank you for your voice that you've always given. And I know you'll continue to give. Let's shift gears a little bit. I mean, I just, I love that you were going to be, you know, you were in the medical field or desiring to go in that. And now you've done all these other things, but I know it's just that drive you have inside of you. Um, talk to me a little bit about what you have going on in your beautiful area of Florida with the West events and the Sunset Inn and Cottages. Yep. So um, about seven or eight years ago, I started feeling like, wow, every time I go to work, I have to get on a plane. And, um, you know, you start, as you get older, you start thinking about your time and how you're using your time and how are you affecting people and, um, and, and what makes you feel good? What brings you energy? And so I, I didn't like the fact that my work always took me away. I wanted something within the community that I live. I live in Treasure Island, Florida, which is a small beach community in St. Petersburg, just outside of Tampa. So the area is beautiful. It's just uh, really chill, you know, Gulf Coast type of, you know, chill vibe, a lot like Southern California, um, just with humidity. And um, so- <laughs> And so, warm water. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes. So we- um, I found I found an old hotel to make a long story short. I started finding old commercial buildings and revamping them. I took an old gas station, built it into a restaurant um, that someone else leases from me. So I like the project. Um, I like I don't it's not always the operational aspect of it, but I like taking something old and repurposing it and bringing out its beauty. I don't want to knock it down and build something new. I want to take something that has history and embrace that history and bring it back to life. So I found an old hotel 
was 13 units uh, right on the next to the beach here in Treasure Island. It was called the Coral Lee um, Motel and Apartments and completely revamped it and changed it into Sunset Inn and Cottages. And it's 13 different units. It's got six cottages. They're all multicolored. They're all different colors. And so I had that for seven years. And But here's the slight sad news, Leah, is that I just sold it um, at the beginning of March and it's been heartbreaking. I didn't realize it was it was such a yeah, because you know, again, going back to that time, I had bought another hotel last year, and it was almost like the straw that broke the camel's back. We okay. had we had some hurricanes, and all of a sudden, I realized I had so much risk in this spot where my house is three miles away. I have two hotels, and I have the event space. And what I realized is that I love the hotel business. It taught me a lot about heads and bed tax and all the business and how everything works, but. When you're hosting people overnight, there's always something that goes wrong. I'm traveling a lot. It was just very stressful. And I felt like I did that. Um, it was time to, to challenge myself and do something else. And so what I uh, had opened up is a wedding venue or an event venue just up the road in Madera Beach. So it's, that is three miles away as well. Also right at the beach so people can get married on the beach, walk across. And we have a 6,000 square foot space. It was an old uh, laundromat and an old bar that we built together into one big building. It's got old encased um windows and old block and you know we ground down the floors and put in five massive package ac units so that nobody gets hot it's nice and chilly in there even in the middle of the summer put in a bar mm-hmm. with a garage door that opens up inside outside a 2000 uh, 2200 square foot outside courtyard with turf and cement pads so we made it very chic industrial um, as we brought it back to life, lots of great bathrooms. We built our own vanities. Um, I built wood walls, reclaimed walls. So just a lot of work and time. Um, and we opened that in uh, January of 2020. Wow, wasn't that great timing? Right before COVID. <laughs> <laughs> when when nobody could meet and gather, I was like, oh my gosh. Wow. <laughs> but you know what? I always do things the right way. And um, I wasn't over leveraged. So we were able to survive COVID and we come uh, out now and we we're, we're having we'll probably have um a hundred over a hundred events this year so it's uh yeah it's wow. really neat. i've really enjoyed it and you know it's funny leah because so at first this started because i didn't want to get on an airplane i wanted to have some work at home and the softball season as you know is is very you know concise for for my espn schedule so my off season i had all this time and i i had done enough traveling with camps and clinics and public speaking that again i wanted to try to stay home a little bit more um, but what I realize is that my passion is, it's just like we've had amazing moments in our life, right? The Olympics, walking and opening ceremonies, winning that gold medal and sharing that all with our family and friends. What I realize is that I want, I love helping people embrace and share their magic day, whether or not it's their wedding day or it's a conference or it's a family reunion. So I love making a like people's special days helping them embrace and have that special day. And so that's where I really figured out my passion was for. So that's how the event space uh, came about the the hotel business as well. I wanted people to have the most magical Mm -hmm. vacation in Treasure Island, Florida. And and so that's kind of been um, my passion project is just, you know, taking something old, making it new, and, and then helping people just really have their best special days that they remember for the rest of their lives. 
Well, and I, I think it can speak to all of us. You know, you got a late start in the sports world in terms of, you know, starting at 15 pitching and then you became an Olympian, but then you get this late start and you find this passion, this newer passion, this other area. And like you said, it, it comes back to people like you, you're talking about, you know, I'm sure you've met some amazing people as well. And the sport has done that, but now this other area and, you know, I, I love it because it, again, it's never, it's never too late to find new passions and to just go all in. And you're just such an example of that. Okay. Let's, let's talk about, because this, this is called the gold standard podcast. So we're yeah. going to shift a little bit and kind of go into these principles because all these different things you've done and all the successes you've had in, in different multiple areas, I really believe it kind of comes down to some core, you know, areas and life lessons you've learned. You've talked a little bit about this already partially, but let's first, I want to ask you when you hear the gold standard, what does that, what does that mean to you? What does it make you think of? Um, so I like to, I like to say excellence in everything like E squared. Um, I kind of use that as my motto. It is excellence in everything that you, the standard is nothing below, uh, the gold level is acceptable. And it doesn't mean you won't arrive there. Sometimes you do. I mean, that's life, right? Life is about bumps and bruises and, you know, a little bit of setback for a set up. Um, so, but it's, it's what you strive to be. It's your way and your mindset of always striving to to be as your best, you know, your best Leah, your best Michelle, your best, you know, whatever it is that you're trying to do. Um, it's the strive for, for that level of excellence. And I saw that, I saw that in you on a daily basis when we trained for team USA, but like you said, in all these different areas as well. Okay. So we're going to go into the letters. So the first one is G and it talks about goals and, and that idea of, I think it's so important to know where you want to go. How do you get somewhere if you don't know where you want to go? And so when you were young, like, did you, I know you said medical school, so maybe that was the driving force. And maybe, you know, once that shifted, did you set new goals? What does that look like for you in the journey that you've been on? Yeah, I think, and I love this because that's a great question, Leah, because goals are so important and goals, you know, a lot of people say, write your goals down um, or at least have an image of it. I'm a very internal person. So I've got all these thoughts. Like my, if you were inside my head, you'd probably be like, Whoa, get me out of here. What's going on? You know, it's like squirrel, <laughs> you know, everything. <laughs> but, That's how uh, I feel <laughs> too. Ping pong and all over. Um, I, I am always thinking about, um, a goal. What's next? How do I achieve it? Where do I want to be? And and I put the bar high, you know, even if I don't know how to do something, trust me, I will figure it out. And that's where hard work comes in. But if you sit down and write down goals, it gives you uh, basically a, a, a book, right? A, a direction, a map, uh, a Google maps to uh, how to get to your endpoint. That's really what a goal is, right? A goal is an endpoint. Um, and so if you want to get to that endpoint, how do you get there? It's like saying, okay, if you want to run a marathon, you just don't go out and run a marathon. You probably work backwards, you know, and you know, at some point you have to run 20 miles and then 15 and then 10 and, you know, all the way down. So you're going to start with your first three miles, right? Your first 5k or whatever. So, so, you know what I'm saying? And, and so it gives you a path on how to achieve and go after things. So goals, I think are very important. And I think you have to be challenged. I love challenge. Mm -hmm. I don't shy away from it. I don't, I don't, I'm not afraid of uh, failure. A lot of people are like, oh, I don't want to be challenged because I want to be subpar. I'm like, bring it on, bring on the challenge because I know I'm only going to get better. I embrace the setbacks. I embrace the failure. Even when at the end of my softball career, I started cycling and oh my gosh, I was the worst. I could never hang on the pack. 
you know, be out there with 20 <laughs> people and I'd be bouncing off the back all the time, getting dropped, getting dropped, getting dropped. I'm like, I'm an Olympic athlete. How can I not hang with these people? <laughs> I did. I did cycling one day, one, one. I was like, oh no, not my thing. Not my sport. <laughs> you are it much more you're consistent. Hard. <laughs> it is hard. But the point is, is that, you know, you just can't be afraid of failure. You have that goal. Know that it's going to make you better. It's going to get you where you want to go and just embrace the challenge. Which that, that leads us into the, the next letter, which is O, which is overcoming obstacles. And I love that because I really believe like as, as Olympic athletes or anybody that's been successful in any career field, anything you do, it's all about, like you just said, embracing that challenge. How am I going to overcome it? What am I going to learn from it? And how is it going to help me? Like you said, that setback really is a set up. It teaches you, it grows you something you, you have new strengths. You didn't have before you went through that particular challenge. So was, were there any specific, um, you know, obstacles or struggles or trials that you went through that you feel like really were difference makers in where you've ended up? Yeah, absolutely. Um, obstacles are the blessings. Obstacles are the, the stall, the straw that stirs the drink that makes you the best, right? You could say, or it's the O that leads to the L and the D and the gold, right? So without the obstacles, you will never be your best you. And so, and I learned that um, when you talk about obstacles, one of my quotes that a lot of people have, you know, put on things is I didn't fall out of bed and become an Olympic athlete. And I, I said that at a very young age when we were first Olympians, Leah, because a lot of people don't realize this, but I was in a, um, I was actually lucky to be alive when I was 19. I fell out of a moving truck. It was a long story short, fell out of a truck of all the points that I hurt. I, I chopped off my elbow, my left elbow bone. And I'm a, obviously as a left-handed pitcher, it was not good. I was told I would never pitch again. So this was between my freshman and sophomore year in college. So not only did I not pitch, start pitching until late, then I had this horrific accident I had to overcome. I had like a hundred stitches in my body. It was, I was just a mess. Um, but I thought to myself, when the doctor told me, I was like, I am not, if I can't pitch again, I, I'm making that decision. I'm not allowing a doctor to, to, to tell me that. So I worked very hard. I came back. I still ended up throwing my sophomore year in college. So this accident happened in July. Well, again, long story short, 10 years to the day of that accident, when I was told I would never pitch again, was the first ever Olympic softball game. We walked into the Atlanta Olympics on July 21st, 1996, 10 years earlier on July 21st, 1986. I was told I would never pitch again because my elbow was so destroyed from this accident. Um, so that was a massive obstacle, but you know what, 10 years later, there I was pitching in the Olympic games. And so obstacles are your best friend. That accident taught me everything about being a good human being and being important, um, as a human being softball is what I do. It's not who I am. And I have said that since the late eighties, because it made me realize on that, from the, 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 the point of the accident to the emergency room, when my dad drove me, that I was important as a human being, as his daughter, not just Michelle Smith, a pitcher. And I had kind of lost my identity and felt like I had to be this great athlete. And that was my identity. And I learned very young at that age that I did not, my dad loved me because of I was his daughter and who I was not because I could throw a softball. So my advice to all the young kids out there is just know that, um, be passionate about what you're doing, but you're going to be a human being your entire life. And you need to be a good one and you need to be a good teammate. And that's really what I thought about all the time is that I need to be a good person because I'm a person a lot longer than I'm going to be a softball player. Wow. I think that is just so important for everybody to hear that. I don't care what people, what age people are, just that reminder, because I think too many people want to give up when it gets hard. And really, like you said, that's the blessing. It's actually, that's, that's, 
that's the, the important thing it's, and, and how you perceive it, like you talked about perspective earlier, but that I think the mental health things that so many people are dealing with these days, I think that it's, it's that identity piece that is missing. And for you to learn that at such a young age, um, really is, is so crucial. And, and every one of us, and, and we need to remember that maybe when we start to try to grab our identity back, maybe we, we try to live that identity, but then we start to pull it back by what we're accomplishing. And it's like, nope, separate that. It's great to go do great things, but it's not who we are. Okay. That is so good, Michelle. I know you're going to impact so many people. Um, L is the leadership piece. Is there one specific leader that you can think of that stands out that's made a difference? Um, wow. I mean, I think you, I mean, our teammates, I mean, I, you learn from everybody, right? We're all so different. Um, so I, I do, I, I love, you know, listening and I'm always kind of trying to watch how things are going, um, in, uh, on Facebook and, um, especially since we're, you know, we're so far away, but uh, I have to say, I feel very blessed that we've, weren't we, we were around some really, really okay. great coaches, some great people. Um, I think at a young age, I would go back and have to say my, my first pitching coach, Betty Zwingraf, um, uh, the late Donna Terry as well, um, who was just a big coach at Cal Berkeley, who taught me some of my movement pitches, Kathy Anderson, uh, excuse me, Kathy Aronson. Um, I have a good friend who's a doctor, Anderson, and I always mix up their names, but um, <laughs> Kathy uh, was a great pitcher back in the day. So I, I looked up to her, um, just just so many women. But, you know, there at one point in my life, I was looking up to Nolan Ryan because all we saw were MLB guys, right? Um, but, I, I, you know, I just, I could probably write a list of a thousand people that have impacted me and that were great leaders that, that helped. But I, I would say probably... Um, our our whole team in 96 mm-hmm. just to me was so inspiring being the first of many and all the challenges that we had to go through with, you know, all the different things with USA softball and training for the Olympics and, and even coach Raymond, you know, just the standard that he set with, um, you know, he, he wouldn't even say, um, you know, he'd say H E two sticks. He wouldn't, that was it. That was, a, <laughs> he wouldn't even say, Oh, I mean, <laughs> Talk about, oh my gosh, he was just such an amazing man. And he, he treated us like women and there was always mm-hmm. so much respect. Um, we didn't get enough batting practice, but you know, other than that, it was great. <laughs> Amen to that. But yes, I 100% agree with you, Michelle. Oh my gosh. I agree. Like it's so top down on how things run because the standard that people set a lot of times is a standard that people keep right. And you want to set it high and, and I'm with you. Like, I feel like the class that USA softball carried, but I, I, I definitely need way more. I probably need a way more batting, you know, than you did. I mean, for sure you oh. could still get away with it, <laughs> but oh my goodness. I love that. Is there one quality for you? Like as you've led many people that you would say is the most important in a leader? I think compassion and understanding, uh, because a lot of times we have no idea what people are going through in their home life and just their morale, you know, their own confidence. And so I think, um, I think compassion and understanding is, is really, really important to just embrace people that need your help and, and show them and just be tolerant of trying to help move them through obstacles or, or uh, overcome uh, different setbacks that, you know, they're viewing as a roadblock and you're like, no, this is, a, these are springboards. They're not roadblocks, you know, visualizing how you see things. Uh, so I, I would say those two words are probably mo- what, what are most important. And, and I tried to use a lot of that in, uh, as I became an older leader on my team in Japan is just really understanding what my, my Japanese teammates were going through different culturally, just everything, different abilities to, uh, 
I just think that when when you can embrace the fact that we're all different uh, and, and just allow people to have those differences, but then help guide them, I, I think it works out best for everybody. Yeah. And I think of the quote that it's people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And it's true when they know you care for them. Like, I just feel like people are willing to run through a wall. People are willing to just bend over backwards and do what is, you know, what you're asking of them. Okay. So the last letter D um, is the dedication and drive piece. And that's kind of, you know, when I think of that, it's just like, you set the goals. And so you, you get this plan and this path, and then you go through different times and, you know, you have to learn from that and you have leaders, but that kind of like the daily habits. So is there like, you know, something maybe that you started as an Olympian that impacted you, like a habit that you kept that you've continued to this day, or is there, you know, some action piece that has always been kind of a core attribute to your success throughout your, your career? I, I think, um, I think what I've really learned as of late, um, because I, I could say, you know, my training and dedication to, you know, because, but I haven't trained as much lately as I should. Be so. <laughs> Me either. <laughs> Me either. <laughs> I need to get back on my bike. That's one of the reasons we pulled the hotel because I, I need more time to do the things that I want to do. Um, yes. <laughs> but I, I think I think one of the things I've realized that's most important in every aspect of my life is really self-reflection. And um, stepping outside your body and seeing how other people view you or seeing how other people view your business. And, and part of that comes down to scouting, right? That's what we do as an athlete. Like how, as a pitcher, I would, I would watch my tapes. I would watch how hitters were looking at me. How did I look uh, so that I could make the adjustments that I needed to do, you know, I needed to make. So you have to scout yourself with a critical eye and, and be willing to say, it's okay, um, to be vulnerable. It is okay to analyze and say, this is not quite up to the level of uh, where I want it to be and, and, and be self-critical and make those adjustments so that you can, um, you can do better, that you can, uh, you know, reach your goal. And so I think that for me, I've really learned that it's okay to, to, to look at with a critical eye, some things so that I can get the most out of my business or my broadcasting or, you know, whatever it is. So I, I think as of late, I would say that that's a, a big part of what I've been doing lately. I think that's so important because again, too many people, we don't want to look inward and we just want to point fingers and we don't get better when we do that. And yeah. especially us as Olympians, it was when everybody was accountable and we brought all of our different talents and gifts together that we became, you know, the best team there was. Um, okay. This, this has just been phenomenal. Um, how do people find you? How, how can they, you know, see what's, what's going on with Michelle Smith these days? Oh, well, um, my website, michellesmith.com, which is one L Michelle, M-I-C-H-E-L-E-S-M-I-T-H-E-L-E-S-M-I-T-H-E-L-E-S-M-I-T-H-E-L-E-S-M-I-T-H-E-L-E-S-M-I-T-H-E-L-E-S-M-I-
I think they're going to do great things with Sunset Inn. They're going to continue kind of what we did with the tradition of keeping the history and the mid-century vibe um, going. Uh, but that's Sunset Inn and Cottages in Treasure Island, Florida. And we're still involved partially. So it's, uh, it's great to be able to see that um, flourish as well. Okay. And just lastly, I, I follow all of you on all of the things and I see what you're doing these days and it's, it's exciting. Um, lastly, what are three gold tips that you have for softball players today? Three gold tips for softball players today. I would say first off is that we are a game of fundamentals and sometimes younger athletes think, Oh, I want to work the sexy rise ball or the home run or, you know, the, the big glorious things in our game. That's not what will make you a great ball player. If you want to be a great ball player, fundamentals, you have to learn to field the ball, catch the ball, throw the ball, run. I mean, it is the fundamentals that drive the sport, bunning the ball, not, you know, it's not the home run. It's, it's, you know, a, a nice swing. So I would say the fundamentals, you cannot do those enough. You cannot practice those enough. You can't visualize those enough. You, if you are great at the fundamentals, you will be a great ball player. But that, to me, you got to start. You got to start there. So that would be number one. Number two is just be a great teammate. Be very coachable. Be uh, a blessing in the dugout to to your teammates because you want to be with the right people. And if if you're not with the right people and and the things are not going well, that energy is just not going to be it. So so basically, you know, take care of, take care of your home, take care of your team. Um, and then I would say that the third thing is practice your movements, right? As uh, this is the biggest thing I probably learned from being in Japan is that practice your body, practice your movements. You don't have to, if you're a pitcher, you don't have to have a catcher to go pitch every day. You don't have to uh, hit live pitching. If you want to be the best hitter around, you know, what you need is a mirror. You need to watch Watch your swing, you know, so it is so you smooth it out. Watch your pitching motion so that you can see are, is your hip angle right? Work on your motion, your body, your mechanics without having to throw a ball, physically hit a ball or or hit a ball off a tee. It doesn't have to be moving at you. And so I think sometimes we're this instant gratification society. We want everything now. We want it to be live pitching, live hitting, you know, which is great, but involves a lot of people. And if you want to be great on your own, if you want to get better on your own, use your use an extra 30 minutes a day in your bedroom or a full length mirror or a studio dance studio and just really watch yourself, watch your motions, coach yourself Try to emulate, you know, be a, a Leah O'Brien Amico, you know, hitting and or a Jenny Finch pitching and, you know, and just try to really work on your physical mechanics, because that, again, is what's going to make you great. And, and this isn't sexy advice. I know a lot of kids are going to be like, bah, I don't want to do that. <laughs> but but those if, if you follow those things, work on your fundamentals, work on the you know, your physically your body, uh, you know, just really learning your movements. Um, and being a great teammate in the dugout, I think that you're going to find yourself springboarding up to uh, to the next level. Yes, that's great advice. And those are absolutely crucial. And uh, just when you mentioned the teammate part, I just, I'm again, thank you so much for joining us today. And I'm, I'm so thankful to be your teammate. I talk to different people and 
you know, I know you said early on, like you wish you'd have told people more, but you showed it. And that's way more important than telling people because your actions spoke so loud. And um, again, you were just an amazing leader um, for, you know, myself and some of us that were coming up after you. So I just, I thank you for that. And I thank you for your friendship. And like you said, we're, we're we've been so far, but I, I also have kept up with you because you truly, you just, you live out excellence. You live out the gold standard and everything that you do. And so it's always an encouragement and an inspiration to me. And I know to everybody, else that's watching. So thank you again for joining me today. Absolutely. Thank you for asking me, Lee. I've always, as you know, been a big fan and teammate. So I, I, I was honored that you would ask me. So thank you. All right. Well, thank you everybody for joining us on the Gold Standard Podcast, and we will see you next time. One of the things that Michelle talked about multiple times was just her ability to want others around her to know how she felt about them and how much they meant to her. And and that is so important in leadership and teamwork and allowing everybody really just to become their very best version of themselves. I mean, individually, we work on those things, but when we can put that into a group setting and when we can make others around us better, it just, everybody benefits. And it made me think about small portion in Coach Wooden's Pyramid of Success book. And he talks about cooperation. He talks about, you know, working well with others. And he says, with all levels of your coworkers, listen if you want to be heard, be interested in finding the best way, not in having your own way. And I think that's so important to make sure that as we strive after our goals and what we're working toward, that we also realize the importance of um, who is going alongside us and going to help us get there and how we treat them and how we rely on them at times and the importance that they are to us. And like Michelle talked about, we can let them know how we feel about them because I, I really think everybody benefits, everybody wins. She meant, mentioned multiple times about how we were around such a great group of women. And she talked about even leadership. You know, it can come from somebody that's younger than us, but ultimately we see qualities that we respect in each other. And so, just want to remind everybody out there that we all have the ability to choose to believe in cooperation and to be a good teammate. Um, even if it's just our coworkers that we're working on the same team with, it's something that we want to go on to do great things, but we want those around us to succeed as well. And, and when we're all succeeding, everybody wins and um, how we do you know, one thing I believe is how we do everything. It's so important to do things the right way and really just strive for that excellence and living out the gold standard. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the gold standard podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, please share it with a friend. You can post on social media and tag at Leah 20 USA or use hashtag gold standard podcast. Make sure you also subscribe so you get notified each week as a new episode releases. You can subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. We appreciate your reviews as they help encourage others to listen in. Until next time, live out the gold standard and keep turning your goals into reality. Mm -hmm.